Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Allen. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, it is great to finally be on this campus. I've been to many of our seminaries in the convention. This is the first time I've been to Midwestern Seminary. It's phenomenal to see the work that Dr. Allen has done here. Uh, just incredible, the turnaround that, that's been accomplished. Uh, he knows what I know as a seminary president. You're only as good as the people you put around you. And you guys get to study under some of the best faculty in evangelicalism. Many of them I count as dear friends of mine, so it's great to be with you this morning. And Students, thank you for coming to a chapel. I know when I was in seminary how tired I would often be and how easy it was to miss chapel. When I was in seminary, I worked full-time as a paramedic, and I would spend my days at work in 24-hour shifts or 20-hour shifts. I'd get home in bed around 3 a.m., then I'd have to get up and make it to class the next day, and that's what I did during the duration of my time in seminary. But I'm really thankful to God for that experience I had working in fire and EMS over that decade plus of time. It taught me a lot of things about leadership, but it also brought me in firsthand encounter with some of the most serious tragedies of life. As a paramedic and a guy who did that for 10 years, I often get the question, what is the worst thing you've ever seen? People are very curious about that, and oftentimes I think what they want to hear is some blood and gore kind of story, but that was not the worst thing that I ever saw. The worst thing I ever saw was when we got called for a child who was choking, and he was a four-year-old, and he choked on a hot dog and ended up dying, and we watched for about 30 minutes that we were with him as we transported him to the hospital, transferred care to the emergency room staff, and then hearing that he was pronounced dead. One of the most challenging parts of that day then was you've got to get back out. You've got to clean your truck because you have to go back in service because the shift isn't over. And later on that day, we had another patient pass away on us as well. I was 18 years old. I was working as an EMT at the time before I became a paramedic. And that was the hardest shift I had in, in 11 years doing that job. Uh, another big lesson I learned during that time was how to toughen my heart. We had an expression in, in fire and EMS, and the expression was this, it's not my emergency. So whatever was going on, somebody else is experiencing the worst day of their life. They call us, we show up, and it's not my emergency. I didn't cause this. I'm just here to provide the help that I can in the time that I'm there. But what happens is you begin to get a cool and detached heart. You begin to build a fortress of stone around your heart that nothing in life is really going to penetrate and impact you. You've actually got to dampen your compassion on people because the more somebody is disconnected from their patient, the better they were. We knew that. The best paramedics were the ones who really lived out that mantra, it's not my emergency. Well, then God called me into pastoral ministry. And I remember my last year as a student at Eastern Kentucky University, Harvard of the South, <laughs> that I was going to be going into ministry, I was going to be heading to Southern Seminary, if I can say that here, and I wrote a paper called From Medicine to Ministry, because everybody said, it's kind of the same thing, you're helping people in EMS, you're helping people as a, uh, as a pastor, and I remember thinking, you cannot imagine two things farther apart from one another. God had to do a serious work in my life and on my heart to bring me back to that place of compassion on people. Because as a pastor, it is my emergency. 
I'm, I'm the guy who shows up after the paramedics have dropped off the patient, who's there when the doctor says there's nothing more we can do. Now it's my turn to walk with that family through a dark season of suffering that could take years. Brothers, we are called to the pastoral care of our people. And I think that might be the most neglected aspect of pastoral ministry in our day. Let me say this as an aside. I know not all of you are going to be pastors in this room. I'm a pastor. I'm particularly preaching this morning to would-be pastors. Either you're pastoring right now or your heart's desire is to be a pastor. But listen, pastoral care is part of just being a Christian, So in what I'm saying this morning, I hope that every believer, you can take this to your church, every believer is going to care for the people that God has put around them and they're gonna shepherd them well. But I know that pastors bear this responsibility in a unique and heavy way. And I wanna focus my attention there. Oftentimes when we talk about pastoral ministry, uh, this is kind of cliche, but we talk about it in the three offices of Christ's way. There's the prophet, the priest, and the king. The prophet is the one who stands up declaring the word of God, preaching the word of God, thus saith the Lord. That's the pastor's preacher. Then there's the priest. And this is what I'm going to call this morning is the pastor as pastor. Loving and serving the people that they have. And then there's the king. This is the pastor as leader. We are called to lead our flocks with vision and in this day, especially with courage. And so often I think we focus on preaching. I know I got into pastoral ministry because I wanted to preach like my great heroes had preached. My life was changed because men who stood up in this pulpit and and declared the word of God and I began to grow as a Christian, study the word of God on my own and thought, I want to do that. I want to be the guy who can God can use to change the lives of other people. And there's been a great resurgence even as of late of pastor as leader, which is desperately needed. But what I heard a lot as a seminary president, Dr. Allen, I don't know if you hear this often as well. We deal with a lot of people in the churches and they will say to me, why aren't seminaries producing better leaders and why aren't they producing pastors? And I know what they mean by that. We get guys who are on fire for God. They love the word. They can't wait to teach it and preach it over a congregation. But when it comes to loving the people, it's missing. I think there might be two reasons for that. First, rightly, we love expository preaching. There's no text of scripture that specifically outlines what the pastoral duties are. We get a lot about who a pastor is, the character of qualifications. We get less of a list of what a pastor does. I wish there was second... Titus or Third Timothy, a book that was just a pastor's manual. Here's what you're going to do in life, and that's not really what we have. Uh, the second reason, and I think this is something that needs to be corrected, is because this aspect of pastoral ministry is often done begrudgingly. Gregory of Nazianzus, one of the early church fathers and heroes of Nicene Orthodoxy, responded in a letter to Basil because Basil was saying that he wasn't fulfilling his duties as a bishop. And Gregory responded back, my business is to avoid busyness. And I think that's how a lot of pastors approach it. People are going to be busy for me. That's going to complicate my schedule, and I would rather avoid it. Well, before we get going, I want to say what I mean as pastor, as pastor. The word itself encapsulates a lot of what I want to uncover for us this morning. It's the pastor is a shepherd, is the person who knows their flock. They love their flock 
The shepherd is the one who lays down his life, often metaphorically for his sheep. He knows them and they know him. When one is strained, it's the shepherd who identifies that and goes after them and grabs them and pulls them back in. When one of them is sick, it's the shepherd who goes and he tends to the lamb and his flock that is hurting. And it's the shepherd who picks up the rod and the sling when the wolves come to do business. So I'm suggesting today that our pastoral ministry, our our preaching ministry, our leadership in churches will be vastly improved if we just love our people well through pastoral care. Under this big idea, pastoral care is the key that unlocks the ear for preaching and the will for leadership. If you don't care for your people well, you'll be preaching to deaf ears and stiff necks. I want to see better preaching. I want to see more effective preaching. I want to see the kind of leadership that people want to rally around. They want to follow this man of God because they know this man of God loves them. So I hope this morning's a bit of encouragement and also a little bit of rebuke from what I see as something missing in this generation of pastors. And to do so, I'm going to commit the cardinal sin of preaching. I am not preaching an expository sermon this morning, I have to confess. But I thought in honor of Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon College... In the Spurgeon Library, I'll preach a topical sermon. And I'm sure Dr. Chang right now is like, he was really more expositional than you're saying. So we're going to start as our base, base text in 1 Peter chapter 5. Pick up with me there. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The command is there. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The word that Peter is using here as he describes what this is going to look like, he says to exercise oversight over them. The the word he's using is episkopos there, which we're going to eventually get to be episcopal, which is a bishop. And oftentimes the word came with a connotation of visitation. This was going to be the bishop who cared about his flock, who showed up when he was needed, who cared for the needs of the poor, and who pastorally visited his people. Exercising oversight is leadership, yes, but it's more than just that. It's the pastoral care of your people. And I think that even comes out in the three knots that he gives, the, the ways that we're not going to shepherd our flock. The first of those is not under compulsion. I meet a lot of pastors who I think are feeling compulsion to do the actual task of pastoral ministry, to be the pastor as pastor. And not only that, is it neglected? Sometimes it's even mocked. And here's how you'll hear that. People who say, I wish there was a tunnel dug out below the pulpit that went back to my study. And I could be in my study and I can pour over my books and I can get my exegetical outline and then I can come back up, stand in the pulpit, preach the word of God, and then kind of go back into hiding. Or it's the person who would say, I'm not a chaplain. That's for them to do. Or even what I have heard many times, I'll staff that stuff out. That stuff is your people. 
the ones Christ died to collect into the church, the ones we are called to love, not for shameful gain. Now, I think I'm in a room where I can pretty safely say all of us are enemies of the prosperity gospel. I hope that that's true in this room. We hate that, and it's easy to pass over and say, well, I'm not gonna be preaching the gospel for shameful gain, but I think it comes in a different way in our generation. I think the way that people can use pastoral ministry for shameful gain is in platform building. People who care more about social media and book deals and conference speaking Where are the shepherds? God indicts the shepherds in Ezekiel chapter 34. And he says, you've not been pastoring the people of Israel. You've been caring about your own needs. You've been supplying your own wants and my people go destitute. I wonder if this is the charge that God would make in our day. We need to care oftentimes less about the broader evangelical world and care more about the flock that we've been given. There are people in evangelicalism who are absolutely called to that broader world. But most of us, pastors of a church, you are going to be responsible before God for the souls of that flock. Care for them. Love them. Some of those ambitions will have to die for the work that only Jesus will ever know about. He also says, we don't do this in a domineering way. Uh, The domineering pastor places the need of the shepherd above the needs of the sheep. We've seen this crashing and burning a lot in our generation. A lot of pastors who are losing their pulpits because they cannot control their attitudes. They're harsh leaders. They railroad things through. They don't care about the sheep as long as they can get to the next big building project, grow their church by a certain percentage. And they're domineering over their flocks. Shepherd like that and you'll have no flock. And it's amazing how often these pastors blame their own people. That had they loved them all along the way, it would never have ended there. So how do we do it? Peter tells us here. Look in verse Three, but by being examples to the flock. As shepherds, we're not only exercising oversight, we're setting the example. We're setting the example of godliness. We're setting the example of holiness. We're setting the example in living by the fruits of the spirit and loving our enemies and leading our homes and setting an example of love for one another. People will learn to love and care for one another to the degree that we set the example. Oftentimes, churches will begin to take on the character of their pastor. And that says a lot. If you know things about a church and they have a bad reputation, oftentimes it's the pastor who's leading them in that direction. But what do we have? We have a better example. I love that Peter even says here, we have a chief chief shepherd. Uh, There's an interesting metaphor for us pastors, isn't there? At some point, we're all part of the flock. We are all sheep. We never stop being sheep. And yet God takes some of them and makes them pastors. And yet even as pastors, we're always just under shepherd of the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's why Peter makes the move to humility here. If we know that the chief shepherd is coming and he's going to bring recompense with him, how humble should we be that the God of the universe would say, I'm going to choose you, not just for salvation, which is great on its own, but now to lead the flock of God. If you ever get over that, you will not be a good pastor. Shameful gain, compulsion, domineering will be the traits, but not for those who see the example of the chief shepherd who laid aside all of it to come for us. You can only be a good 
example if you're present. So second, as a pastor, a pastor's pastor must share his life. Here I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, he exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I love the sweetness of this passage. When Paul begins to think of how sweet and dear the people at Thessalonica had become to him, he says, I was like a nursing nurturing mother to you. And like a father, I came to you and I exhorted and instructed you. And just the previous verses of this, Paul talked about how he came into town and he was preaching and proclaiming the gospel. There is a primary emphasis on the pastoral ministry of preaching the gospel. We stand and we proclaim the word of God. In no way do I want you to hear me diminishing that at all today. It's the but also that comes in there that I think is really important. We shared with you not only the gospel, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Are the people of God dear to you? When you think about pastoral ministry, if some of you are already serving, or I hope all of you are at least invested in your local church, when you think about the people, do the, do the problem people come to mind first? the ones that are hard to love, the ones that God's testing your sanctification by having them there. Those are even objects of love. God is doing something in their lives as well. The people of God dear to you. I don't have 40 years of experience. It'd be great if I did, and I could talk about all these pastoral stories and things that God has done through my ministry. But I have been in two churches now as a senior pastor, and in both instances, I've noticed the work that God alone can do early on. As soon as you're called into that spot, your heart for those people is intertwined. I love that work. It's a miraculous thing I feel like God does with the people to unite the hearts of the pastor to them and their heart to their pastor. Paul had this affection. He loved sharing his life with them. He was in their lives and they were in his. Ministry is engagement with people. Sure, there are times of separation when the door is shut, the blinds are drawn, the books are out, the coffee is iced like a normal Christian drinks it, the prayer is hot, the word of God is open, and you need that time away and you need that precious moment with the Lord to prepare your message for God's people. But then there are many other times when the door must be open. Your presence must be felt. You must be sharing your life with them. I love what Steve Lawson has said. I've been using this as I've been back into pastoral ministry. He said, my mornings are for God. My afternoons are for people and my family. My evenings are for my family. And I think that's a great model. And if people know that, so you're not just clustered up all day, they will give you your space in the morning when they know, don't go into that room. He's meeting with the Lord right now. He's pouring over his text for this Sunday morning, but he's got time this afternoon. He would love to meet with you. Make people a priority. Let them know that. 
Ultimately, we share our lives again because Jesus shared his life. What better example do we have than Jesus Christ coming down from heaven? Philippians 2, right? Coming down, suffering on the cross, rising again from the dead. But it's more than that too. If it was just that, salvation is accomplished and our eternity is secure and that's beautiful and wonderful. But what I love about the Lord Jesus Christ too is how personal he is. We talk about our relationship with him. We think about how Jesus would come to the pariahs. He would come to the people that no one cared about and he loved them and he had compassion on them and he shared time with them and he'd bring them in for meals. He loved his people. When I think about my relationship with Christ, it's how personal he's been with me. He has shared himself with me and I share myself with him. And as an under shepherd of the chief shepherd, I want my people to experience that with me as well. A pastor is going to share his life. It's life on life love, side by side suffering, which brings us to number three. And that is a pastor must pray for the sick. In James chapter five, we see this. James chapter five, verse 13. Is there anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. As pastors, we are called to care for the sick sheep of our flock. Ours is a ministry of the word. And when people are sick, it is often a great time to present them with the word. And our our ministry is word and prayer. and, And we are called upon in James 5 to pray as elders with our people. The entire purpose of pastoral care is to bring our people to Christ. And it says to come and to anoint. And now, I know that's kind of fallen out of favor, but for a long time in the history of the church, people would do this and they would anoint the head of the sick person and it was to represent healing that would be coming. And ultimately, what do we tell people who are sick, especially when we know that death is nearby? We don't promise them healing. Again, we don't subscribe to the health, wealth gospel. That's not scriptural. But what do we do? We say, if you're in Christ, heaven is waiting. True healing is coming. And if you're in Christ and your sins are forgiven, the greatest healing you ever needed is already done. And we get the privilege of doing that with our people. Of course, there's nothing super special about the prayer of the elders. There's no priestcraft. We don't have a special connection. I think there's people in our churches that will think that, kind of like the old red phone in the White House that got to the Kremlin, that somehow if the pastor picks it up and prays, all of a sudden something's going to happen. We need to train our people that that's not how it works, and we need to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry and have a diaconate and have life groups and whatever else we have in our church that gears towards pastoral ministry, absolutely. But we also need to follow James 5, and the elders of the church need to be at the bedside of the sick. They need the presence of the shepherd. It's critical that we're there. We cannot pawn this part of our calling off. This hit home for me when a story I heard from John MacArthur, the very first T4G back in 2006, he was just reflecting on 40 years of pastoral ministry. And as you know, John MacArthur, he's going to talk a lot about preaching. And I'm sure glad that John MacArthur's preached 89 years now, faithfully. The word of God, week in and week out. He is a tremendous example to us all. But he told a story at the very end of that talk. And he said there was a man in his congregation who lost his son to a brain tumor. 
He said, I was there with them in the hospital and they asked me to do the funeral and I did the funeral. And six months later, the man came to me and he said, pastor, where have you been? I lost my son and you haven't said a single thing to me since then. And MacArthur said, what was I going to say to him in that moment? Look, buddy, I got a big church. Look at all the needs that I have. No, all I can say in that moment is, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I've not shepherded you well through this. I love that example because it doesn't matter for John MacArthur how world-renowned his ministry is, how big his church is. He knows that his responsibility to his people is to be their pastor. We have a lot of hurting people in our churches. I know even just since I've been back, I've been back in the pastorate for four months already. I've seen people that no doubt are oppressed by demons. I've got a woman in my church who lost her son and her husband last year. We've got people going into some of the gravest surgeries they'll ever have in their lives. And you know what makes that totally unspecial? All of you have that in your church too. Every church you're going into for ministry is going to have these opportunities to serve people. Brothers, please visit the hospital, conduct the funerals, go to the nursing homes. Remember those saints who for 40 years sat with your second graders and they taught them faithfully the word and then they become shut-ins and they get put away and it's so easy to pass them by. Love them, care for them. We, we get to go into these moments of pain. I think C.S. Lewis is right that pain is God's megaphone. And if pain is God's megaphone and you're God's mouthpiece, then those are some of the most precious times you will ever have to speak the words of life into somebody. Look, some of the, the most significant relationships I've made as a pastor have been in those moments at the funeral, at the bedside, loving people in those ways. And let me tell you, they'll follow you anywhere. You're preaching as mediocre as it's going to be, as mine is too. Let's be honest. Most of us are not going to be the next great preacher of evangelicalism, but we can be a preacher that our people love. I remember my parents growing up, we were in Ohio and uh, there was a pastor of, of our church. He was a Scottish fellow, not Alistair Begg. This is going to be really important for this story. And he was a scoundrel, ended up being a, a terrible man. But there was another associate pastor, a very old gentleman. And I remember being a child thinking, that guy can't preach. And my parents always said, I love it when he preaches because we know how much he loves us and we know how genuine and authentic everything he is that he's saying. If we're there for our people, they're gonna blossom underneath our preaching and our leadership. Pastoral care is such a big part of pastoral ministry, we can't neglect it and say that we're faithful in our calling. I think too many pastors are getting fired or fed up today in ministry, and a lot of it's because that connection with their people just hasn't been there. The idea that pastoral care opens up people for preaching and leadership hit home with me. The very first uh, Sunday I got voted in in my very first church, 29 years old, and we're in the fellowship hall afterwards, and this man comes up to me, probably about 75 years old, and he grabs my arm and he pulls me close. This is a man who no doubt could beat me up. I'm afraid of this man from the get-go. And he pulls me in and he says, we don't need a preacher. They're a dime a dozen. We need a pastor. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. What, what do you need me to do? I'll do it. 
And there was part of me that thought, hey, man, I'm a seminary trained guy. I'm finishing up my PhD. You're about to get blown away by what's coming from this pulpit. But I was like, yeah, I know what you're saying. Well, over the years, we had a fine relationship. We got along great. Uh, but he was a very quiet man. And, and the, the issue that caused me the greatest concern in my pastorate that I wasn't expecting was background checks for children's workers. I said, we have to do this in the day and age that we're in. We've got to protect our children. That was met with a lot of resistance and he was probably the most resistant to it. We're in a small town. Everyone knows each other. Why would we do this? What is it that you want to know about people? So I took the time. I went over to his house. I sat on his, his couch there with, with his wife and we talked for hours over this thing. And at the end of it, he said, you know what? I don't love it. I don't want to go this way, but if you feel like we should go that way, we'll go that way. I also had opportunities over the next couple of years to love him and his family in the hospitals and at funerals and just be in their lives. My very last Sunday pastoring at First Baptist Church of Smithland, he grabs me again by the arm. The only second time he'd ever done it, grabs me and he pulls me in and he said, I've been in this church for 50 years and I've never grown so much as a Christian than underneath your preaching. Being there for him in pastoral care opened up his ears for preaching and opened up his will to follow. Students, I hope you aspire to pastor. Faculty, I hope you put before these students the beauty of pastoral ministries. Trustees, you're here this week. You have a God-given obligation to make sure that this institution is putting out pastors as pastors for the church. Let's pray. Father, I do pray for these students who are going to encounter all the joys and all the challenges of ministry before them, whether that's in a senior pastor position or just lay leadership in the church, whatever it is, they're here, they're in this room. They want additional training. And Lord, they're being called to a place of serving with care, with compassion, with love for these flocks. I pray they'll do it. And I pray that as they love their people, their preaching will be met with fertile, fertile soils of the heart. Their leadership would be followed because people know that they're cared for. Praise in Christ's name. Amen.